You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 28. I have a feeling that most of the people that I know in my life don't know who Alex Jones is, don't really care. They're really being pressured from the outside to do something. Oliver Darcy, he's CNN's social media reporter. Seems like the type of job that only a millennial should have, and and I disapprove of it uh, on principle. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. worked up to start the show here today. Uh, Don't worry, it's going to get a little bit on the lighter side soon, and then it's going to get kind of heavier again. This is a monster-sized show, and it's probably the most controversial show that I've ever done. Now, I realize I'm not the only podcaster talking about this topic. Many, many podcasts are talking about this specific issue right now, and it's about the free flow of information, of entertainment, news, whatever you want to call it, free speech across the internet, but not just the internet itself. You know, as Aaron will point out later in this conversation, the internet is built around getting, is built to get around censorship. Okay, so this isn't about, the internet itself will be fine. This is about the major companies on the internet, to call them out by name, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, some of the minor companies as well, as well like, like Vimeo, all of these things are bowing to pressure to shut up certain voices. And now you might think, well, that's not a big deal. You know, these voices are obviously useless. No one I listen to. But what do you, you know, what happened to, I disagree with what you say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. You know, isn't that one of the basic ideas of a, of a free society of a, or of a democratic society? Like, our, I feel like our basic standards of, of decency in this regard have just been chucked out the window. And people are like, if I don't like it, it's got to go. And I think if you podcast, you get that. You know, if you podcast, your main activity kind of depends on free speech, so it's very important. But for some reason, these other outlets, like these social media companies and CNN, as we'll see in a bit, like they don't get it at all. Now, it's, I just think it's really ridiculous that I need to say over and over again how I don't agree with Alex Jones, blah, blah, blah. Have we, you know, how have we gotten to the point where, you know, you can't even defend someone's right to speak without fear of being accused of agreeing with that person or, or accused of being on that person's team. It's absurd. Believe me, you can look at some of my past episodes. You can listen to my discussion today. I've tried my best to understand the point of view of the people who want to silence speech on social media and on the internet. And it's getting really hard for me to deny the obvious. And the obvious point is that they're all full of crap. You know, Alex Jones is the one in the news this week. Could be someone else uh, in another week. Uh, He's been kicked off every major site simultaneously. Uh, They say he's promoting violence with this call to arms speech. Well, none of them actually played the speech in context. None of them will show you what the offending speech actually was. Well, I'll play, play it for you right now. I'll play the offending clip. Yeah, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm playing Alex Jones on my show. But here's what he said, and here's how he said it, so you can judge for yourself. They think they can really take down America. This is it. So, people need to have their 
battle rifles and everything ready at their bedsides, and you got to be ready because the media is so disciplined in their deception. Antifa attacked all these people at the White House, beat up reporters, beat up women, children, no coverage. And they've got discipline, folks. They've got criminal discipline because they're a bunch of followers. All right, so the claim is that this clip was a call to violence because he asked people to have their battle rifles ready. And yeah, you might think this guy is unstable or whatever, but if you listen to the words, it's so clear to me that it's, it's metaphorical. And how, may I ask, are battle rifles any good against the, quote, you know, deception, which is what he says he's fighting against? And also he's saying, like, put this stuff by your bedside. Again, it is clear to me that it's metaphorical, but what kind of mob violence, like, leader says, okay, everyone get your weapons, and now just put them by your bed. It actually sounds like someone who's, like, afraid of something. And you can listen to this again and again. I firmly believe that words have meaning, okay? You can't just, you can't just say someone said something when they really said something else, and, and then that's reality. It's not. And if you read the words, there was no specific call to violence against anyone here. All right? I'm just calling this shot uh, right now. Now, could you say that uh, there was paranoia in this video, maybe? Hey, that's a legitimate point of view. But paranoia is not a reason to silence a voice. And by the way, one of the things that he's telling people to be paranoid about is the attempt to curtail free speech. So I guess just because you're paranoid doesn't mean that everyone is now to get you. And I don't get why this is so important to people. It's not like it's working. I'll post on the show notes an article uh, my, uh, my statesman, a local paper in Austin, Texas, mainstream, uh, that this doesn't really hurt his ability to get an audience. He still has this website. He can, he can host it himself. No one host is going to go after him. In fact, this whole thing just gives him more attention, more eyeballs, more ears. <laughs> We're talking about him now. I wish I didn't have to. But how can these censors like, not see that the inevitable backfiring of their plans? So now in the discussion you'll hear in a minute, I sometimes call uh, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey the, the voice of reason in this conversation. Um, eh, not really. And that, that's because he's, the reason why I say that is because he's only being pushed by one side. He's only being criticized for not taking people off the platform. And when he pushes back against people who are pushing him too hard, then he sounds reasonable to me. But ultimately, all these companies are folding up like lawn chairs at the first sight of a social media critic. Um, so I don't know what to tell you. Is this the 21st century version of, of you know, throwing a bunch of books in a, in a pile and setting them on fire? You tell me. Okay, so here's an interview of Jack Dorsey from CNN. Notice the bias inherent in their question. I'm just gonna play the question to start out. Did Twitter make mistakes around Alex Jones and InfoWars around the, the initial announcement that no, he has not been abusing, no, he has not been uh, over the line, but then a few days later, giving him a timeout? Well, we... All right, so that's the question. The way he's asking the question, it's like, come on, you could tell me you screwed up a little, right, by keeping him on for so long and then finally having to reverse yourselves. Isn't that a mission that you guys have just been, like, too open for too long? You know, did it ever occur to anyone at CNN to ask him, hey, some people say you shouldn't take people off your platform like this. What do you say to them? And it's only one way that they ask the question. It's so predictable. Okay, I'll play the rest of his answer. Our system works by people reporting content. So 
we don't, we're not in a place to proactively review everything. Um, and we act when we receive reports. That, that is just you know, consistently enforcing our approach and our rules. People may disagree with that approach. People may say, you should be a lot more proactive around all the content. And while we could do that, it just it requires so many resources. I mean, hours and hours and hours of, of, of looking through video content. So at the time, uh, we did not receive reports that we felt we could take any action on that violated on our terms of service. Your colleagues at CNN pointed out a number of them. Your colleagues at CNN pointed out. We noticed that all the others, um, likely because they were made known to Alex Jones and InfoWars, were being deleted. As we receive reports, we take action. And there are varying degrees of enforcement action, starting with warnings to temporary suspensions, which the accounts are now in, all the way to a permanent suspension. All right, all right, let's take this off. This is getting boring. Uh, so there it is. CNN is actually acting as the cop here. Uh, he's saying that the people at CNN who are sending in the complaints and then he's taking them down and then CNN is coming to him and complaining that they're not taking people down fast enough. So I, I think that's a little weird. And yeah, I can tell he doesn't want to do this, but for he's desperate in trying to keep the CNN reporter happy. And I think that's going to outweigh his love for uh, free flow of information for some reason. I don't know what. I don't know why, why he cares that much. Okay, so now I got to call some people out, or now that I have called some people out, I realize that this topic does have a little nuance, something that CNN doesn't get apparently. And also, what I do on this show, I don't just want to be a critic. I want to ask and I want to brainstorm, what can we do to make this better? After all, this is, uh, I think, an engineer and product-focused uh, podcast in many ways. So I'll have this discussion with Aaron. We try to reach some conclusions or at least get some ideas that'll point people in the right direction. So if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an engineer or builder, maybe you'll listen to this and you'll build a better platform in the future. Or maybe if you're inside one of these companies, maybe you can help. So I can hope. Okay, I'm also gonna alienate millennials and people from Long Island. That random, I don't know, that just stuff just happens when I talk, so sorry. Okay, so let's have a listen. All right, Aaron, welcome to the show. Uh, welcome back to the Local Maximum. Been a, been a while since you've been on. It's been almost uh, a single episode. You know, no matter how long I'm away, it still feels like it's ages. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. So, um, in fact, I'm I'm quite a bit older than the last time I was on the show. Oh, that's true. Happy birthday! So, someone at work reminded me uh, when when that came up this week that. Uh, technically, I am a millennial. Yeah, which I managed to hide the 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 level of offense that I took at that statement. I think fairly well. Yeah. but but that made me. Are you angry. one of the people who like you pretend to be Gen X and have disdain for millennials, but then in well, reality, you're one of them the whole time. And I, I also have a healthy amount of disdain for Gen X. Like, I, I I don't want to belong to either like group. Slip in your avocado. To- you, you you slip in your avocado toast without, you know. Making sure that no one notices, and then say negative things about other people who eat it openly. You know, I, I think the first time I had avocado toast may have been with you um, in Westport. <laughs> I'm such a millennial enabler. I had avocado toast the other day um, during sort of a data science one-on-one with one of my coworkers, this is Stephanie, who's been on the program. And now that the Foursquare office has moved to 23rd Street, there is like this fancy. Like it's like Maison Chanson or something. It's like this French place with like this avocado toast was twenty dollars. 
crazy. Uh, that's that's what I would expect in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Actually, it was sixteen dollars, but I spent the extra four for the like thinly sliced salmon on it. <laughs> I was Ooh. really uh, really going a little overboard there. So I know you mentioned, uh, or maybe you didn't mention on the show, but you mentioned to me a couple weeks ago that that you had relocated to new offices right. in in New York. Yeah. Does the new location have a cafeteria? Yes, yes, both of them do. So I heard a, a, a tidbit of news uh, coming out of the the Silicon Valley area that I don't know if it was was happening on a wider basis or if it was just one Silicon Valley town, but they were basically prohibiting. Uh, I want to say it was Facebook from opening. Well, they were they were I think expanding to a new office, and they were saying you you can't uh, you can't put a a twenty four hour cafeteria in there because that will have a negative impact on local businesses that you need to send your, what? your people out to go, go eat in the wild. Oh yeah. And I that San Francisco it. was, was considering similar regulations that any new businesses opening either were, were prohibited from putting in cafeterias or if they did, there was going to be limitations on the hours they could run. Well, but we only get completely to- off topic for today's show, but, yeah. but that's where my mind went. Well, yeah, we only get food on Tuesdays and Thursdays, so we do have to go out into the wild and get it. But that's, you know, that's what Foursquare is all about. So there's kind of a good reason for that. I think, though, our office yeah, in San Francisco- Yeah, it would seem very much on message to yeah. force you guys to get out. Our, our, our Foursquare office in San Francisco, I believe, has all every single day. Although, actually, I think I think the off days you're just allowed to, you just like can order in and that's paid for. But uh, yeah, I don't- I don't see a reason to force companies to keep everyone I, inside. I think the There's, big beef was was yeah. the twenty four hour thing. That yeah. that obviously the incentive is to keep your people working as as long as they can possibly be productive without taking unnecessary breaks in their flow. But if you're in that flow, if you're in that programmer software, oh yeah, flow, the last thing you want to do is get up and go for you know if, yeah, and, and if it's a thirty or forty five minute excursion. Yeah. But but during the, the late hours, like if it's a three in the morning flow, that is when you are doing the magic. Well, you know? and at least in New York City at three in the morning, you can go somewhere and get food. In Boston, I, oh, yeah. I remember in my college days at three in the morning, if you wanted food, there was like one pizza place that delivered and it was the world's worst pizza. Oh yeah. But but it was but it was the only three AM pizza. So you you ordered it and you paid for it and you liked it. What about that burger place we went like the night before your wedding? The one where we almost saw a knife fight break out? Yes, that one. <laughs> well, that, so so that, that was in Harvard around? Square. I, oh, okay, it's it's so possible it's not close enough to MIT. Well, it, I think at that point in the night the bars maybe had closed, but but since this was a a burger restaurant that did not have uh, a, a liquor license, they were probably still open for another hour or so because. Uh, that that makes business sense. You get all these people kicked out of the bars, and they're hungry and looking for something to do. And the subway's already closed, so while they're waiting for their Uber to show up, they're going to eat a burger. And so that's why we were seeing a knife fight there. I think so. Man, that was we got lucky there. Yeah. Well, uh. so <laughs> I I do remember there was one place in Central Square that was open super late, or at least for for Boston Cambridge super late. And I only knew that because. Uh, one of the guys I worked on the ambulance with introduced me to it. Uh, and, and you would walk in there and the only people you saw were grad students because, because they're the ones who were up working in, you know, in, in, in Cambridge at that hour. 
Yeah, yeah. So interestingly enough, we're talking about all these interesting places in Cambridge, these fancy places in New York City, Avocado Toast Millennial. I went to the least millennial <laughs> place today. That would be Long Island. Uh, I was out in uh, Freeport, the Nautical Mile, and I have very mixed feelings about Long Island now. I lived there until I was 12, and when I left Long Island, I had like, there's always this feeling on Long Island, like everybody like doesn't like us for some reason. And now that I've been gone, I'm like, these people <laughs> on Long Island are so weird. Um, so th- there are a couple positives. One, it's like I get out there and like, you know, near the train station, I'm just in a parking lot with overgrown grass near a laundromat. And I'm like, this is really nice because I'm outside of the city. And then when you get on the water, it's like that beach smell and like these nice places to eat on the on the water. And there are some people who are who are really genuinely enjoying themselves, um, mostly a lot of the older crowd there. Uh, so n- not too many people from my generation. So to escape from from millennials, that was that was a good thing. Um but my God, some Long Islanders are crazy. I got asked multiple times by people like, where are you going? You know, like just because I, I don't know, I'm a tourist in your street walking along, looking at the various restaurants and cafes. Just it's the same thing that you do in my neighborhood every single day of my life, you know, and, the, <laughs> and, and they don't get it. You know, I walk around in Brooklyn and do, do that. Nobody, uh, nobody ever bats an eye. And so they don't seem to understand being a tourist. Um, everyone there has to like you know, kind of know where they're going, I guess. I got yelled at for checking out a house that looked like a shop. It was like in the middle of a street with a bunch of restaurants and like miniature golf and all that. And so I was like looking at it. And I mean, yes, I understand. I was on this guy's private property. I was violating the non-aggression principle or whatever. It was my fault. I'd be happy to get off. But he was like... He, again, it was like, where are you going? And, you know, like, it, it was like, it, it was like, hey, get get off here. It's closed. You know, like, I'm like, your house looks like a shop in the middle of a bunch of shops in the middle of a tourist area. What did you expect? I don't know. You don't have to be so rude about it. Um, and so I just felt like there's there's some people there that are just suspicious of outside. And this is South Shore, by the way. There's a whole different, like, North Shore rich Long Island that also I don't get that's weird in another way. Oh yeah. That's, that's, that's beyond my knowledge. I, I mean, I know, yeah. I know there are multiple Hamptons, but, but other than that, I don't, yeah. I don't know where the, the fault lines are. But it's, yeah, I, I tried to understand this because I was like, why are so many people on guard in a place where people are supposed to be enjoying themselves? Whereas I walk all around Brooklyn and it's like, or, or people are suspicious because I feel like people here in Brooklyn, like you, you always have to be on your guard in Brooklyn, but Maybe I was just thinking about it. Maybe people are better at sizing people up. So when you're walking around, you know, just looking at shops and things to buy and stuff, you know, people don't bother you because they realize. And if they are suspicious of you and they want to get more information, they don't just come at you. They they have more subtle ways of trying to figure it out. Uh, But I don't know. People on Long Island just haven't figured that out yet. And then the worst part, coming back on the train, I had like a bridge and tunnel crowd on the train they were there was like a a group of guys because they were coming into the barclays center for like a wwe event and they were drinking beers in the train they were spilling the beers all over the place i moved and they were like yeah that guy doesn't like me he doesn't want to sit here (laughs) yeah i I don't know if if... i start shouting on the train i was afraid they're gonna vomit all over me i don't know it was just like man why this place is crazy and this is i've been told every every year i go to long island it reminds me and like this is so 
different from everything else in my life, different from New York City, different from Silicon Valley, different from Boston. I don't know if you are understanding this of any, like, if this re- reminds you of any of the more like rural areas of Massachusetts, but I, from what I know, it really doesn't, or like suburban tough, I guess. I, I don't uh, know. I mean, there's there's certainly a reputation for certain Boston neighborhoods that are like the oh, yeah. old oh, Irish yeah. neighborhoods that, that, that are, towny isn't the right term for it but but to be honest i haven't had that much interaction with them yeah but i feel like that's like the ethnic neighborhoods here in brooklyn but that's very different from long island which which maybe i would draw you know similarity to say like jersey shore type situation i i am sure that well i that that's that's kind of a different thing i was going to say i'm sure that the people who actually live out on the cape or out on martha's vineyard feel that way about the tourists but but that's not what you're saying uh, and and I and it's not like the people who live out on the Cape or out on the Vineyard come into Boston frequently and and yeah but yeah it's probably a little different yeah um, I I, I don't anyway. think we have a, a local <laughs> analog that, to that really nice, uh, it actually is kind of nice to have that little vacation um, in the middle of the day without having to go far away there is something nice well done there. okay so let's actually get into the man. We're going to get really controversial today I think we've already got well yeah all, all of our Long Island listeners have thrown their 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 cell phones on the ground and uh now, well, now we're gonna alienate somebody, some people if somebody wants to come to the defense of long island uh on the show i'd be happy to have them that would be a really fun debate to have well so so perhaps as as a native long islander uh you can you can answer this but yeah. is long island technically part of new york city is is only part of long island where where does long island start and and new york city end right 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 so um i'm technically on long island now here in brooklyn uh brooklyn and queens are two boroughs they're also counties so new york is made up of new york city is made up of five boroughs but they're also counties um which is kind of strange. Sometimes the county and the borough don't exactly line up, but let's not get into that right now. Yeah, the, the political <laughs> subdivision of, yeah. of of how New York within New York New York City works within New York State yeah. has always been. I I, I have a, a basic grasp of it, it's, but it still seems weird. No, it's not like Connecticut, Aaron, where like every town is basically like they're all similar in size and they're not really subdivided very much. Yeah, well, and and, and in uh, in in Connecticut and most of New England. County level government really doesn't mean anything. No, maybe, no. maybe that's where the 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 courthouse is because not every town yeah, yeah. is going to have a courthouse. No, we, but yeah, but it's it, not it like New York or or I guess some of the southern and mid Atlantic states where most of the government is at the county level. New York has various levels and various hierarchies of government that are complicated to understand. But about Long Island, what you have to understand is going uh, west to east, the counties are. Um, Kings, which is Brooklyn, Queens, which is Queens. Those are both boroughs of New York City. And then Nassau and Suffolk. I was in Nassau today. I grew up in Nassau. Suffolk is further out. That's where, you know, Suffolk is like the basically the eastern half of the island. Yeah. It's the biggest geographically. Not to be confused um, with Suffolk County in Massachusetts, which yeah. uh, I, I believe Boston is part of, or is it Cambridge yeah. is part of it? Uh, yeah, w- one of them. Yeah. So anyway, uh, if you're from Nassau or Suffolk, you say you're from Long Island. Brooklyn and Queens have their own identity and are not mixed with Long Island. And I assume nobody takes ownership over Staten Island. Oh, yeah. The people who live there are actually very proud of being from Staten Island. Um, but, and but, you but they neither are considered uh, you know, members, members of the true New York nor of Long Island. Um, 
Well, no, they wouldn't be Long Island. I mean, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, they're New York City technically, but um, just very distant. Well, I've I've, uh, I've shoved us down this detour once again. I'll I'll let you rein us back in. <laughs> okay, so now that we've angered Long Islanders, Staten Islanders, uh, anyone else you want to anger before we move on? <laughs> Let's anger the rest of the internet by talking about our topic today, which is um, two developments since last week. Because last week we were like, well, Twitter might be leaning in the more free speech direction because they were the only one who hasn't banned Alex Jones. Well, now that lasted for like a day or two. They guess what? They banned Alex Jones. Okay, so um, there's that, and there's also that. You know, I talked about how all the employees at Twitter have a left wing bias, and Jack Dorsey, the CEO, basically said that. Well, I, I, that's true today. Yeah, I, so, I don't so think I you were you were saying that all of the employees, but certainly that. that oh yeah. That. Vast in, majority, you know, in 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 average or 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 overall, there's there's a significant lean. Yeah, so let's I get to that in a minute. Uh, let's talk about Alex Jones a little bit. So he was uh, penalized by Twitter. That means he was taken off for a period of time. Yeah. So, so this isn't into- an outright ban. This is this is. Yeah. Uh, I, I think some places have referred to it as a timeout. Yeah. So so let's let's get into who he is. Um, Alex Jones is radio host, Infowars. He has a really big audience. Um, so this is kind of what what scares people about him. He has about. Uh, well, according to this on Wikipedia, six million. I think he said he has five million. Um, just to put that in perspective, let's say uh, Morning Edition is the top one with fifteen million. Rush Limbaugh fourteen, Glenn Beck ten, um, Sean Hannity thirteen point five. So maybe about a th- uh, almost half of those. Well, guys. and and it's it's so a little a tough to to pin down exactly what his his influence is because he's yeah. so, so some of those people that you mentioned are are very much you know radio personalities slash radio shows or, or networks uh he's he's right. i'd kind of put him more in the category of like a glenn beck in that he is a multimedia personality um and sure. so like looking at uh the so but so is Sean Vanity. Yeah, yeah. uh, most of these but, guys. But so, so in addition to his radio show, there's also Infowars.com, which which may or may not have a greater reach. Uh, it oh, it yeah. looks like uh, the Wikipedia article is is claiming 10 million monthly visits, which uh, based on it looks like it's based on on uh, numbers from Quantcast last year, and and they yeah. claim that 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 gives it uh, more more monthly visits than mainstream news websites like The Economist or Newsweek. Now, I wouldn't put InfoWars in the same sentence as The Economist, maybe Newsweek, but but certainly not The Economist in in normal conversation. But 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 but, but, but he's not he's very so fringe that he has no one listening to him. Right. People should care. Well, maybe his ideas are fringe, but if yeah, it's he, he I has mean, if, it's, if it's popular, it's popular. Yeah. So let's let's talk about this a little bit because I, you know, defending him being able to say what he wants to say is not the same as uh, do we have to say that I don't, uh, I don't really, uh, you know, like the way he says it. I mean, I I don't know how much I should be required to say that to defend free speech, but let me tell you a little bit about him. I think he's entertaining. You really can't say he's boring. That's, that's not one thing you could say about him. He's definitely provocative. What he seems to believe to me from from what I've listened, he believes that like government conspiracies are behind most of the news events in attempts to like thought control the population. So he's like, you know, 
9-11 truthers, moon landing was fake, all the shootings are false flags to try to whip us up into something. There was that Pizzagate scandal where- Did, did that originate with him or did he just boost the signal on that? I don't, he definitely boosted the signal. He pro- None of these things probably yeah. originated with him. Uh, oh, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's fair. I, I don't think he's coming up with these from whole cloth, yeah. but, but he's, he's finding tidbits and, and building them up. So Pizzagate is someone thought a child pornography ring was in the basement of a pizza shop in D.C. and someone went over there. Um, but no one got hurt, I guess. Uh, well, I guess. <laughs> I mean, the reputation of the pizza place, although now they're known as the place that, like, they didn't even have a basement. So um, anyway, he uses colorful and emotional language, um, which definitely turns a lot of people off. Um, and he calls state actors like demons, seems to call people he doesn't like demons. So a lot of this stuff I find, like a lot of this truther stuff, I do find reprehensible. I guess I could use that term. But again, I'm going to defend, you know, I'm going to defend free speech here. And not just like constitutional free speech, you know, not just, you know, Congress shall pass no law. We haven't had a problem with that. But just like, hey, if you're going to have a platform with many voices, you know, I'm sort of on uh, error on the side of, um, hearing those voices. Now we're going to talk about where- right. Yeah, the the government hasn't stepped in, and and in fact, uh, there there are numerous libel suits uh, pending against him. Which, if if the government were were stepping in and and uh, curtailing his his speech, uh, it would not be necessary for people to bring these suits. Yeah. So so that's to to be clear, that is not the topic. For discussion, yeah. At present, so so one of the things people really hate him for is you know for the in the Sandy Hook shooting, you know the shooting of um, little kids to school in in Connecticut. Um, you know he he says, well, that was staged. Now it should be pointed out, like it's nothing personal against those kids, those families. He kind of does it for every shooting. Um, you know the Boston Marathon bombing, again, same thing. Um, but all that was many years ago. So uh, his current ban was nothing to do with that. He has a funny video, like the turning the frogs gay, which is the kind of thing, something like it, uh, where they put the chemicals and the, there's chemicals that the, that we're putting in the water that's, uh, turning the frogs gay. Um, I don't know, maybe it's true. Um, anyway, I, I have not looked into that one. What, was, wasn't that a major plot point in, in the first Jurassic Park movie it was, uh, it, yes, frog it was. changing genders. Right. It actually, maybe that's where he got it from. <laughs> I don't find that even if it's false, I don't find that a particularly offensive false story as like the other ones are. Uh, but anyway, like he's not. Well, you know, if if you were gay or a frog, you might take it more personally. No, I mean, like, wh- <laughs> I don't know if. He, he's not saying there's anything wrong with that. It's just that the chemicals are turning the frogs gay. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, <laughs> to, to quote the great Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the YouTube ban was about calling the, the Douglas High School survivors, uh, David Hogg, crisis actor. Again, it seems to me he does that with everybody. August 14th, just a few days ago, uh, he was uh, – there was a, t- a decision well, – so- yeah. I, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but on on YouTube, was it was it that this was a verifiably false statement, or that this was provocative, or what? What about that statement resulted was, in his ban? So I, I I know more about Twitter than YouTube, for this okay. But I believe it was they were saying it was a harassment of a individual. Okay. Although I don't know how I feel about it because it is a a public individual. Um, 
So well, yeah, there's there's been a lot of, of like if you, back if and forth, particularly about yeah. about uh, Mr. Hogg, about what is and is not off limits with him because uh, I, I well I don't know if when this whole thing developed if he was already 18, but but at least since then uh, he is now. Uh, so he's he's an adult, and to some extent, he is a public figure. But d- just because you've spoken out in public, does that make every piece of your private life fair game? And and there's been a lot of back and forth. Um, yeah, I think we can uh, clearly agree that some people have crossed the line, even if we can't agree on exactly where the line is. But but that is an interesting yeah, topic if, for discussion. Kind of out of scope of this. Majority yeah. means that. Well. I don't know. Well, there, I mean, there are certain I, things that, that if he like, was a minor, that that yeah, would not be worse. fair game. Absolutely. Yeah, but they're also like in terms of just you know um, trashing someone's ideas online. I don't like the way people do it to certain people. Whether you're a 17 year old, but it's like I wouldn't do that to someone to any at any age um, if I disagreed with them. But you know that's. Um, people maybe are particularly sensitive to it given both his age and the situation he finds himself in. Uh, But on the other hand, there's a tendency to get people like David Hogg who are hard to criticize without, um, right. Well, and and there's without, and then, so then the only voices you hear end up being these, the, the ones that are really nasty who don't care about that. So it's, uh, it's, I kind of see, how this happened, given the fact that he was elevated. And, and there is a potential slippery slope from I'm calling you out on something because I think you're being a hypocrite about it. And now that I've already called you a hypocrite uh, to sliding into ad hominem attacks and, and ad hominem, ad hominem attacks are, are, I think, pretty widely accepted to be inappropriate and not, no, I may, maybe to say that they are ineffective yeah. would be, blatantly wrong but but <laughs> fake news yeah, they they're a bad thing <laughs> yeah, uh yeah. and and we would all be better off if we didn't resort to them because from from a logical and a rhetorical standpoint they carry no weight but uh they yeah. much much like uh, all forms of of you know negative advertising they they apparently work with at least a portion of the public and i should point out when i said it was hard to criticize him it's because he is 17 years old he is a survivor of the shooting and so he's brought out as the advocate for gun control now if you oppose gun control it, it's sort of the opposite of ad hominem where it's like you find the person who like criticism of would be socially unacceptable regardless of how you do it. And that's how you end up with only these crazy voices criticizing him. Right. Because, because anyone, anyone with a little bit more self-respect and sense of shame uh, is going to be hesitant to jump all over these particular people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's, and, but, but Alex Jones lacks that entirely apparently. Well, yeah, that's, that's his brand. That's a very on brand from, all right. So let's talk about uh, Twitter specifically. It happened on August uh, 14th when he was taken off just after our last show (laughs) uh, went up. Um, So, the decision it says here to temporarily restrict Jones's account comes as a result of a clip in which Jones rallies his users against the media, telling them to ready their battle rifles. Uh, Twitter says this targeted harassment violates its standards. Twitter is citing Jones for a tweet linking to a live video of Jones talking about web censorship. The video has been taken down, but in a clip posted by 
the liberal media watchdog group Media Matters, Jones says, mainstream media is the enemy. I, I, should I do his voice? Like, mainstream media is the enemy. But now I, 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 I'm not good with his voice. There's some voices I could do. I'll just do it in my own voice. Mainstream media is the enemy, but now it's time to act on the enemy before they do a false flag. He mentions taking actions in court, among other things, and says, people need to have their battle rifles ready. Um, it sounds to me like that's an example of like colorful language and not so. So they're saying, well, it's it's sort of what are they saying? Like that's vi- a call to arms, a call to violence or something like that. Um, it, it seems to fall short of of inciting violence. But yeah. but a uh, I am not a lawyer. We know you're not a lawyer. How many times <laughs> have you said that on the program? <laughs> but I I am not familiar enough with with the full breadth of his his content to know enough context to determine whether that's the type of thing that he says all the time. Which I feel like the uh, I, I feel like the the phrase uh, uh, before they do a false flag uh, is probably something that he says on like a weekly basis. Uh, yeah. The, the battle oh, yeah, rifles bit might perfect. be something new, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's used that exact phrasing previously and, and it hasn't resulted in any, any outcry. That, yep. that perhaps particularly because uh, everybody else has already banned him, people were especially primed for something that, that they could fit to the, uh, the, the, the standards and, and use that to, to bump him. And I'm, I'm not saying they are wrong to take him off their platform, but it, it seems like maybe they were gunning for an excuse here. Uh, no, no pun intended. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about, we'll talk about why yeah, you're going to get kicked <laughs> off. In a second. Gunning for Come on. All right. So Twitter says, I believe we put him in a timeout for a time period. Oh God. It's like, that, that makes me cringe. Like to put people in a timeout. Like it sounds like we're three over here nursery school. Uh, The most important thing for us, this is Jack Dorsey, is that we are consistent in applying our enforcement. We can't build a service that is subjective to just the whims of what we personally believe. We need to make sure we are applying our rules consistently. Now, actually, I've been reading a bunch of quotes from Jack Dorsey because he's been got, I've been seeing lots of criticism. Oh, he's terrible. He hasn't been responding to this well. Actually, all of the quotes that I've read from him sort of sound like the voice of reason, which is um, <laughs> really, really strange from, from the headlines I'm seeing versus what I'm actually reading. So it's, it, it sounds to me like he's reasonable, but they're being pushed to a point where they're, they're doing crazy things with some of these media figures, and it doesn't seem to be applied consistently. I should also point out that have you ever heard of the uh, Westboro Papt- uh, Baptist Church? Yeah, of, of course, yeah. Uh, they they get less publicity yeah. now than they used to, but but I have heard of them. So they're still on Twitter. They call for. I mean, they they picket people's funerals. They're P- particularly you know, they're uh, uh, soldiers, uh, I believe. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I mean, it, it does seem to be like a very targeted um, enforcement. Um, and I'm just wondering, you know, where this outrage, where this pressure is coming from, because it does appear, it doesn't appear to me like Twitter internally looked at Alex Jones and said, oh, we've got to do something about this guy. I feel like, and and correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like they're really being pressured from the outside to do something. There's certainly an element of that. Because if they weren't being pressured, first of all, you have all the other um, social media companies doing it, which just on its face causes pressure. And then you kind of can see some very public pressure. Um, you know, uh, I, you kind of search this online and a lot of the articles written 
kind of use the passive voice, which really anger me. It's like the fact that Twitter hasn't banned him has caused outrage, has uh, people have voiced concerns and it's, it's, it uses this passive voice where it's like sort of there is a um, there is disagreement that is coming from the ether, you know, that uh, and, and people won't really say who specifically is against it, which to me is like, OK, the article is just trying to let you use your own imagination and, and let you imagine that people, you know, care. I have a feeling that most of the people that I know in my life don't know who Alex Jones is don't really care um, and, you know, don't really, maybe if they really knew what he said, they wouldn't like to, to listen to his stuff. Maybe they wouldn't want him on the Twitter feed. But in terms of how Twitter deals with it, I don't think most people care that much. So I'm like, okay, why, why is this such a big deal? Um, and why is the pressure against Twitter against this particular person so harsh? Um, so, uh, and, and I, happen to think that there's kind of a small minority of people causing this outrage. And again, most articles say this decision by Twitter has drawn outrage. And it's not the decision to ban him. It's always the decision to keep him has drawn outrage. No article says the decision to ban has drawn outrage, which clearly it also has. So there's a double standard there. This is just in like search results. Like I'm not talking about individuals, but now I'll talk about individuals. So one person who's been against it is CNN. Uh, Oliver Darcy, he's a big name. Um, he's CNN's social media reporter. So I guess he's one voice, but why do they care so much about what CNN is? That's like, the, that's old news. They're new news, right? How, and, how old is he? Because that know. seems like the type of job that only a millennial should have. And, and I disapprove of it uh, on principle. So he is on Twitter. Uh, I do not know. Well, if, how if he old. wasn't and he was their social media reporter, I I would be even more outraged. I, I do not know his age. He calls <laughs> Jack Dorsey too professorial um, in the clip. I'm not going to play the clip right now. He's like, oh, he needs to take action, and he's getting too much into the philosophy. Which I sort of, I actually, they they should get into the philosophy. They're de- dealing with a very philosophical issue here. Um, and then another specific person who is pressuring Twitter is senior technology writer at BuzzFeed. They said that, uh, who is this guy's name? Um, Charlie Warzel. He said, I'd like, I'd argue that this line of thinking from Jack is part of the problem. Jones and others are not normal users. Jones has been doing this for 20 years and it's been very lucrative. A suspension is not going to make him rethink his behavior. So these people want him punished more. And it's like, all of these people, like social technology writer at BuzzFeed and CNN social media reporter, that those two um, jobs sound very similar to me. And I'm like, <laughs> where, where's, is there any outrage from like, um, I hate to say a normal person, but like a person who's not, whose job isn't it to create outrage on social media? And they're both, you know, talking about this stuff on Twitter, which is hilarious. Yeah. I mean, so one, one thing probably worth pointing out is, is you, you mentioned a, a small minority causing this outrage. One of the things I realized in the show is that I have some Alex Jones style conspiracy theories of my own uh, <laughs> in explaining Alex Jones. I mean, look at this. I, 
Am I crazy? So one thought on minorities causing outrage. Yeah. Not, not, uh, no, wait, and, wait, be careful. My, yeah, that came out yeah. of my mouth very wrong. <laughs> the, the assertion you made that it's a small minority causing this outrage, yes. which, to which I would say that is most of what Twitter is, is right. a small minority on a particular topic getting outraged about it and, and causing that topic to trend. And I will also say that BuzzFeed, uh, whether they've been successful at it or not, is making a huge effort to be a legitimate journalistic outlet. Is Twitter being trolled and harassed by its own platform on its own platform by these guys? Oh, without a doubt. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, that's saying Now the question is who is trolling and harassing them? Is it Alex Jones or is it the people who are advocating to get Alex Jones kicked off or is it both? And this is just a troll war. And and the smartest thing that Twitter could do is is well, I, I would advocate the smartest thing they could do is shut the whole service down. But <laughs> but that's not what they're going to do. The smartest thing they can do is stay out of it and impartially uh, implement the rules. In fact, this would be a great place to uh, to implement some some AI so that they can literally take the humans out of the loop here. So if tomorrow Jack Dorsey just went all uh, John Galt on there behinds and just said okay your entire twitter is gone good luck um well it would be really exciting for a few days but then someone would we'd all end up on some other platform which yeah it's it's the same the same reason the argument that that we should uh you know develop uh support a third party to to show depending on what the political season is show those republicans or show those democrats that they aren't entitled to our votes because as soon as a third party grows large enough to actually have any political influence, uh, they will be co-opted by one of the other two parties, and we will have a, a new set of two parties running the system. That, yeah. that are, are the architecture of the system inherently uh, trends towards that, much, much like even if Twitter or Facebook or uh, one of the other major social media outlets shut down overnight, uh, something would spring up to fill that gap almost immediately. And while it would be different, it would not be substantially different enough to really change the... the yeah, the only way to change is to change the topography change of our the lives. thinking about it, change the kind of philosophy yeah. behind what these companies should be doing. Um, which, which, for better or for worse, cannot be changed yeah, overnight. Yeah, it can't be changed overnight. It could be changed in the long term. I like this quote by uh, Casey Newton. He's the an editor at The Verge. So again, similar job description to the other two. But, uh, but I agree with this. He writes on Twitter, I love that a common form of internet self-care, quitting Twitter for a week, and a common form of internet punishment, getting banned from Twitter for a week, are functionally identical. So I'm just going to leave it at that for now um anything else well if if you never join twitter then you will not ever reap the benefits of taking twitter off of your phone for a week well you're not on twitter so you reap the benefits every week yeah, so well no but but i i never i never because i was never on twitter to begin with i don't know that cleansing feel it's, you're just it's clean like, you're just clean automatically yeah. well that's but 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 much much like if you've never had a terrible hangover, you can't appreciate how good it feels to to get beyond that. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Um, yeah, you you as as, as I, I several have, have, of, of the world's great religions yeah. have shown us, uh, you you can't appreciate the lack of abuse if you don't abuse yourself first. Hmm. Well, I don't I don't want to start thinking about what the takeaways. Are. <laughs> um, okay, so. Uh, 
let's talk about bias. This is, we have a very like right-wing leaning show today. That's not my intention for most of the time, but look, I, I think this is an important topic. Perhaps we need to reiterate that, that this is not we a- do not support Alex Jones's agenda and, and, uh, at least not knowingly any of the things he advocates, simply the fact that he has a right to speak. Yeah, yeah. And similarly, um, that we have a right to ignore him, which which would be great if we could do that. But as you said last week, this has been Streisand affected like into the stratosphere. Yeah, but I'm more, I'm not concerned right now about Alex Jones getting too much publicity. I'm more concerned about discussing you know, these platforms like Twitter and Facebook and how they're controlling the discussion because Alex Jones is just one voice. Um, whereas how, whether we get the, these larger platforms, right, is a much more important thing um, in my view. Um, okay. So from the Washington post, um, Jack Dorsey admits that left-leaning by uh, uh, left-leaning bias, but say it doesn't influence company policy. His quote is, We do not look at the content with regards to political viewpoint or ideology. We look at behavior. Um, But he also said, you know, I think people see a faceless corporation. They don't assume that humans are in it or that they're genuine or authentic, he told CNN. They just assume based – this is um, Washington Post quoting CNN. That's why they did two things. He says, they assume based on what the output is and that's on us, that's on me. Earlier this month, Dorsey called on journalists to document, validate, and refute unsubstantiated rumors that spread on Twitter. Some journalists took issue with the tweet and said it's not their job to police false information on Twitter. I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting paid to clean up your website for you, Los Angeles Times national correspondent Matt Pierce said. So, Well, first of all, he's yeah. a journalist, so he's probably barely being paid. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's debatable whether that is just or not. If, if you take the your website part yeah. out of that, I'd say that's exactly your job. It is your job to go out there and and find find the truth of the matter and spread that information far and wide and to do it by documenting, validating, and refuting. I think that's right on for what I, – I didn't go to journalism school, but – but I'd say that in a nutshell, that pretty well captures what journalism should do. Aaron, you don't have to – journalism isn't the same as lawyer. You don't have to – you're not going to get in trouble uh, <laughs> for giving, doing journalism without a license. Uh, there's no rules. So we could do all this. We are citizen journalists right here. Uh, well, we're more you – know, we're not actually doing the – we're we're citizen commentators. We're, citizen commentators, we're, we're, yes. we're at this at least in this episode, we are firmly on the opinion page of yeah. the uh, audio newspaper. Yeah, no, but I think I, I think it's actually, you see, again, Jack Dorsey, his quotes sound like the voice of reason, and he's been criticized so heavily uh, for it. He has acknowledged here that his employees have political bias. They have other bias too. It's not just political bias. They live in certain areas. They have certain ethnic backgrounds. If we talk about global society, well, they're all American, mostly American um, and a few other nationalities. You know, so it's, um, it's, I think we have to acknowledge that and we have to say, okay, how do we set up our, I don't have the answers, but I think if we acknowledge that organizations have biases and then say, okay, how can we set up our organizations to deal with that? We're in a much better position rather than, I'd much rather have that than the company saying, nope, we're unbiased and we know what's right. And we just have to do a better job at uh, enforcing what we already know. And I think that the the latter, what I just said, seems to be the mindset in a lot of cases. And I actually appreciate that he might be not going all the way to what I want, but he's sort of uh, changing that mindset a little bit. And I 
I like that. I am I the only one defending? Am I the only one in the world defending Jack Dorsey right now? I might be. It, it certainly seems that way. I, Unless it's these social media <laughs> managers that make it seem like everyone hates him when they don't. Maybe most people agree with me. I don't know. Well, he's he's very much become in the context of the is the of this discussion the man uh, against whom people are attempting to rebel. Um, but my reaction to that that statement was. Initially, shock that that it was said, but but then it was well. The content of that statement is not at all shocking to me. The fact that he said it, you know, not not at you know at a dinner party uh, to to the person sitting next to him, but in a public statement, uh, openly admitting it, that was a little surprising. Um, and, yeah. and and I don't think I I, I have difficulty fathoming people. Uh, in in this country, being surprised by the content of that statement, but I'm sure there are some who who were, uh, as opposed to simply the fact that he was stating it publicly. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also one thing I want to point out because I really think that a a lot of people in tech, um, you know, they do want they are kind of left leaning. They really think, and and that's fine, but they really think that the media that they're getting is completely unbiased. Um, you know, talking about NBC, CNN, uh, Washington Post, all these guys. And I, I just have to say, I'm not asking you to give up your political views. I I think people just need to see that, yes, there's a little bit of bias in here. And that's one of the things I point out. I watched, um, when I watched parts of uh, the other day, uh, just to, that really got me thinking. I watched the election night coverage of NBC on the 2016 election, okay? And one of the things that they repeated over and over again, I noticed earlier in the night, is that Hillary Clinton has written two speeches. She's written a, um, a victory speech and she's written a concession speech because uh, she says she's leaving nothing to chance and she wants to make sure both possibilities are counted for. And they, they sort of said it in tone, well, obviously she's going to win, but you know she's writing the concession speech just because you know she's doing the work and all that. And that came directly from the campaign, right? And they said this on NBC multiple times during the night. Um, and then at the end of the night, she lost, and she didn't have a concession speech. And you, I, I looked it up now. There are articles where, yeah, it turns out she didn't have one. Um, so that's really weird to me. I mean, maybe it's a small thing. Maybe it doesn't really matter. But to me, that like that illustrates to me like something is something's a little bit wrong. I'm trying to put my finger on what I'm trying to say here, but it, I was just like, yeah, they've got to they've got to do a little bit better on. Oh, well, I, I suppose you could say that that it was completely a rhetorical device, or or, or uh, you know, for, said for effect. Yeah. But yeah, but they shouldn't be repeating her her. Ta- her Talking points like that. Well, you 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 made a comment before about about uh, liberal bias, particularly in in a lot of tech companies, uh, and uh, I, I I couldn't let the opportunity yeah. pass without pulling out the quote, which apparently is is attributed to Rob Corddry that the, the facts have a well known liberal bias. Um, yeah, no, I've heard that uh, stated by a lot of people as well, which is usually in a way of like, oh, uh, we don't have to address our bias because. Basically, they're saying we're not biased. That's what that statement means. They're using the argument that the truth is is an affirmative defense, um, but but that that only works when you're talking in facts, 
uh, not when you've entered into opinion. Yeah, I should point out that I will look at the 2012 uh, election coverage from Fox News, see if I see anything similar. I'm sure I will. But, the, the 2012 um, or, or are we talking about 2016? 2012, okay. 2012, because they had that whole – I heard that when they covered that election, they kind of thought Mitt Romney would win. Um, but let's see. I just think – look, I don't live – I live in New York City. You live in Boston. So I, I'm not in the conservative bubble. So I don't really know that stuff as well. I All I know is that – right, the facts have a liberal bias, this attitude that you know we don't we're we're the unbiased people just by virtue of who we are. I don't know. I, well, I, I, I just accept everyone's bias to some degree. So, so this this touches maybe a little bit on bias and and I hesitate to use the word conspiracy, but uh, but perhaps collusion yeah. um, on a on a slightly different subject. But uh, this, yeah. this past- I've already stated two conspiracy <laughs> theories. My second one is with the concession speech. But so so this this past week, I believe uh, a a large number of uh, of newspapers ran coordinated uh, editorials talking about how the, uh, the the news media is not the enemy uh, in in a reaction to statements uh, most likely on Twitter that Donald Trump has made statements that have been largely interpreted. Uh, to to indicate that the media is the enemy of the people, and then the idea as well—that's what they said in like the Soviet Union. Well, my my the thing that I'd seen was was someone had had posted also on Twitter uh, that yeah. if if you weren't convinced that the media uh, was was colluding uh, in a conspiracy against uh, Donald Trump, uh, then these concurrently running you know. 200 plus editorials across the nation simultaneously telling you that that the media is is your friend and here to help you and is not engaged in a conspiracy against the president that'll certainly convince you. <laughs> yeah, well, we do see that. Maybe we can move on from this for a minute. Um I want to end with uh discussing an interview that I gave. So, I was recently on uh Machine Yearning with Shane Mack. I had a really interesting discussion with him. Uh it's not edited yet. It's not out yet. Um so it'll be interesting to see how they edit it. They actually uh told me I can give them some edit, um some input on how they edit it, but I honestly I don't want to give them um input. Um there're definitely some answers I gave that I'd want to expand on a bit, possibly amend, possibly even some things I said that I want to retract, but I actually want them to edit it however they see fit. Like obviously unless they like twist twist my words to mean something they're not, but I don't they don't do that. But like I I want them to you know publish it as it is and uh and we'll see we'll see what happens. But from my recollection of the conversation, there are two questions so this is the first time where I really, I didn't have the questions beforehand. And so I kind of realized after the interview, there are two questions that I really need to answer better. And so I'm going to start to answer them better now, but maybe I'll, I'll enlist some help. So if anyone has ideas, localmaxradio@gmail.com. So the first is answering what is the purpose of these social media companies like Facebook and Twitter? Because my take seems to be that it's a business they need to keep their user base engaged because there was one thing I said, well, you do X, Y, and Z, it'll keep your users happy. And then he asked, is that the goal of these companies to keep, is that the goal to keep, keep the users happy? And then I was like, oh, I just got burned. I was like, wait a minute though. They are a business. They need to keep them there. All right. Uh, so these companies also declare themselves the zone of kind of I, I, I marketplace of ideas or free speech. I think marketplace of information 
might be a better way of putting it. So they should be consistent on that if that's what they want to be. Um, I do get very concerned when they say, well, on top of that, there's also a responsibility to make sure that the discussion is a fruitful discussion or we need to fight fake news and make sure the information is correct. But so I haven't really drawn a clear line yet between the mandate for a marketplace of information and then when they overstep their mandate for good discussion and real news. Because I've already conceded that um, having no um, no filtering at all is just not a, a feasible solution for the, for these folks. And so my solution seems to be right now. Well, so yeah. the the one of the platforms that puts it out there itself out there as an alternative to Twitter is is uh, is a Gab AI. Oh yeah, that's the one with. with now, I, I call is, them a bunch of Nazis on my show. I'm sorry. I'm going to get criticized because <laughs> they're not technically Nazis. They're white supremacists. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> Yes. Uh, they- well, I, I, I wasn't going to go there, but I was going to ask, since since you have been on the platform, is is their approach to, to have zero filtering or do they just have a different filtering approach? Are, are they I the think, unfiltered beer of I think of it's, it's different. It's different, but they filter a lot less and their okay. filtering is suboptimal. So I think if you post something that's, you know... Um, if you're very literal in like your call to violence against a specific person, then yes, they'll take it down. Which, which an argument can be made that, that that's uh, completely justified because that, that would technically be commission of an actual crime as opposed to something violating the terms of service. Right. Right. And so my idea that I'm kind of circling around is that you have one company that focuses only on being the platform. They focus on the technology. They don't do any filtering. In fact, if it's a decentralized application like Bitcoin, they can't do any filtering. And then other companies compete for being the uh, the filter or the, the algorithm, um, but it's the, the content, like the sea of content is the same. They're just uh, sifting the sea of content differently. And so the example that I gave is, well, maybe the New York Times can run a, a filter and then at least... I know if I use them, I kind of know what I'm getting. Like I know what that brand is, right? Hmm. Now, I. But if we don't have that, if it's just like okay, we do have a company that even if the company starts out saying that they that they won't filter, the fact that they can means that ultimately there will be pressure to do so, as we've seen. Um, I don't know where legitimate filtering ends. And then when they start getting into, I don't know how to stop the slippery slope. Like I I don't have a very clean way of saying, this is how I know I'm overstepping my bounds. Yeah. I mean, I guess the the first step is to have a clearly written, you know, whether it's part of the terms of service or a standard of conduct or whatever, which, which seems to be what what Dorsey is getting to is saying, we need to have clear standards and enforce them even. Yeah, I agree with that. That's but 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 even if you've successfully done that, um, the the consistent enforcement there there has to be some sort of well, e- either there has to be some sort of human judge involved yeah, there, and, or yeah. you're going to have a brittle system that that's going to have loopholes that are going to be easy to work. Oh around. yeah, and people will start to, as soon as you put the rules out there, people will start to attack the rules. They'll find something that's technically in the rules, but is would be crazy to allow on. Um. Yeah, well, and, and you know, the the internet as it was designed uh, 
works around censorship. Yeah. Like it, 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 it detects censorship and interprets that as something being broken and works to fix it. Um, case, case in point, and, and again, completely off topic, but um, the whole defense distributed thing that, that's blown up in the news with uh, 3D printed firearms in the last month. Um, the moment love, that they- A lot of people they, are putting pictures on where they stick some guns in printers. <laughs> and they're like, oh, all these guns I've are being those. printed yeah. out. Or like they, they, they have like 30 in there. They're like, oh, my prints are broken. It just, can't, it just keeps printing these guns. It gives gives new meaning to PC load letter, yeah. uh, but where where I was going with that is is yes the they they got a court injunction that basically forced them to to shut down the website. However, uh, immediately when they did that, uh, it the files started popping up in other places, multiple places with mm. with kind of network effects. And once something's out there, you can't just by ap- applying you know quote unquote censorship stop it information doesn't flow that way in the modern world yeah um and and so the how they approach the censorship question could have serious repercussions for for their how their platform is perceived and and what shape it takes uh but but if they think that they can use this to actually stop information from getting out period they are deceiving themselves. No, no, I think they can but, certainly slow it yeah. and, and have influence on it. Um, yeah. but, but I think if, if you're willing to do that, if, if you don't think the truth has the strength to talk against lies, then you're probably on the wrong side of it or you need to I think it does. give up your faith in humanity. Yeah. I think it does ultimately, but it, it, sometimes it takes a long time. Uh, for the for the truth to come out, um, yeah. So again, I think some of the things that Jack Dorsey is saying here sound uh, reasonable to me. Again, but it's just like um, they're not necessarily uh, applying it that way. There's tremendous pressure for them to uh, censor more than they are. So we'll see how that goes. Um, another thing that I said on um, that that has horrified me. That you know, I, I said something in a public interview, and I'm like, hmm, this is I'm a little bit concerned about what I just said. So we were talking about the idea that people are going to build these filter bubbles. And um, is it a bad thing that we all agree on the same news? Uh, Like we all agreed on the same news generations ago, but now there are people who just believe something completely different from you. And the the weird thing that I said that came to the top of my mind, I said, well, look, these systems nowadays, like Twitter and, and Facebook, those are global. And if you think globally during the Cold War, uh, you know, yes, Americans got news from maybe the same systems, but if you consider Americans versus people in the Soviet Union, they got completely different facts. And so maybe now it's just the same thing, but it's just not geographically based. And so I think the fact that I said that has been like swirling around in my head, like, you know, keeping me up at night. And the problem one was like equivocation between the USA and the USSR, which I don't think is, is correct. Um, You know, it's just like, yes, you you did have, you did have free speech in the USA in the way that you didn't in the Soviet union. And that did make a big difference. There were alternatives um, and you weren't like, you know, wasn't social pressure to, not be crazy. Uh, the the problem number two is that is this still not the world we want? Like, what if your neighbor has these crazy beliefs and is just not someone who's living very far away? And then the problem three is like, 
I think it's not the same with what we have now, because I think what we have now is that people are being introduced to different viewpoints far more often. These filter bubbles are not very secure <laughs> as far as bubble goes. Um, so, I mean, and if you really want to get back into your bubble, you might have to just geographically self-segregate again uh, to get it back to the way it was. Like you might have to live like the Amish or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I just, to fancy, I think the answer that I ultimately gave was going in the right direction, which was to introduce people to their bubbles frontier. This idea that just on the edge or just outside your bubble, like one contradiction, one fact, one idea that like you're just ready for and is just a little different from what you're used to. And we have algorithms that can find those things. And that's how you change mind. That's the way I think about it. But I need very good examples of that in order to really make that argument sound better. Yeah. And, and I can't put my finger on on a, a concrete example of that right now, but I know there's there's been some some interesting yeah. work done in kind of that area um, where, where we know that uh, the, the the human mind is is uh, it's 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 got some some Newtonian mechanics going on there that the harder you push on it uh, the harder it pushes back so if you're presented with an idea that is diametrically opposed to to your worldview or your beliefs even if it's backed up with with all the facts in the world you're instinctually going to plant your feet in the ground and say no that can't possibly be right and instead of the cognitive dissonance causing you to to shift your worldview it's going to cause you to dig in deeper and and become more intransigent. Whereas if you are slowly exposed to things that, that like you said, kind of on that frontier on the edge, uh, and, and, and instead of in an abrupt, you're wrong about this, let me show you why, in, in a fashion that kind of leads you towards another perspective, then it is possible to, to, to kind of break out of that and, and change somebody's uh, a, a opinion stance thoughts on on a, a particular subject in a in a dramatic way but you can't do it all at once and i i think this ties into what you were saying before about how nowadays people are are more frequently being exposed to things that are that are outside of their bubble so to speak that that are beliefs different from theirs however they're not being exposed to them in a way that makes them receptive they're being exposed them to them in a way of i saw this thing and it made me outraged let me share it with you because you will also be outraged and we can pool our outrage together and feel superior because of it and and that's a huge piece of of what face i mean this this is this is one of the uh the things that's led to a lot of confusion on platforms like Facebook is something that gets reshared. It, there's there's no indicator when a post is reshared of whether that share is a I agree with this I'm resharing it or a look at what this crazy person said on the internet that's totally wrong reshare and and it feeds into people's yeah. uh, you know it, yeah. it it supports their feedback loops where they see oh this got shared a lot. I must be onto something and they keep going, whether that's cynically to, I can get more hits and I can monetize this or simply people, people agree with me. And so I must be right. Yeah. I think um, the way you described changing minds in the frontier was a lot more eloquent than the way I described <laughs> it. So we should keep thinking about how to do this because I think it's an important idea to get out there that, you know, I, you talk about this stuff enough and these ideas actually do kind of seep in you, wouldn't believe. I, I'm always shocked when someone's like, "Hey, Max, I heard you say something and changed my mind." And I'm like, "Whoa!" But it, it does. So <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, yeah. And secondly, I, I've heard a number of people. Uh, well, not heard, but but read a number of people who post pretty regularly on uh, on Quora, yeah. which which is a 
I, I guess you could call that a social network. That I would, that, yeah. Social media platform that yes. that doesn't really usually get lumped in with the with the other major ones. But but they were saying that I I am posting and answering these questions almost never because I expect the person who posted the question or who is having the debate with me is going to be convinced. I'm doing it because there is a chance that somebody in you know on the sidelines who comes along and reads this will be able to see the two two sides of the argument presenting their facts and that I'm going to be doing a a better job of of you know sticking to the facts and logical argument and and not resulting to to logical fallacies like ad hominem and etc that that the bystander might be convinced but but I I'm I'm resigned to the fact that the person who has taken a stand opposing me I'm not going to change their view. That's that's not the purpose of this. Much much like uh, you know, Again, in a presidential like- debate, no one expects one of the candidates to to step off the stage at the end of the night and say to the cameras, "You know what? I was wrong. My opponent was right on this issue, and I've decided to step out of the race because they are clearly the better person for the job." It's <laughs> it's so you can go up there and convince people in the audience who haven't made up their mind yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was bringing it back to Gab.ai. The reason why I can't hang out there. Or like I would enjoy hanging out there, and they would enjoy me. Is like we're we're nowhere on each other's bubbles frontier. So maybe we can we can end on on this particular thought that the Bayesian approach, which which is something we've talked about time and time again, is is kind of a key tool in in the uh, in the toolbox of of a, a, a group of people who who philosophically like to call themselves okay. rationalists. Yes, and. Their 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 kind of overarching quest is to to take the approach which leads me to to the most truth because uh, that that will you know lead lead me to be uh, to to be most effective in pursuing you know my goals and 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 things along those lines because uh, understanding the world for what it really is will will only serve to benefit you um, and and I apologize because I'm I'm sure that is a uh, insufficient. Uh, paraphrasing of 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 the goals but but that that perhaps that's a uh a mindset and an approach that we can dig into a little bit deeper and see how maybe that can help us tackle some of these problems because it's really built around the idea of of how do i determine if what i believe is right or wrong and how do i make it less wrong so marry the bayesian approach with the um idea of changing minds and social media discussion. That could be a great discussion for another time. Um, I think we've gone on enough today. We were, what were we going to go for 20 minutes? We end up going 70. Is that yeah, the, the shorter we try and be, the longer it runs, right? <laughs> yeah, but we got a lot of good things out today. So uh, I, 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 think- I blame you and Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, right. So he, he was trying to be 140 characters, right? And then it gets really long. So that's what <laughs> well, happens. May, may, maybe when all of this is cooled down a little bit, you can invite him on the show and uh, and see what his, his I take will. I'm slowly working my way up to people with higher Twitter follower accounts, which to me is- I, like, I'd imagine his is quite large. Yeah. Yeah. Probably is. Um, he could artificially inflate it if he wants, though. Um, I His is not the highest, though. He could have- um, but anyway, um, all right. So uh, let's call it a week. Um, next week looks like I'm going to have uh, Assemblyman Clyde Vanell, uh, Assemblyman here in New York, but he's also like you know an entrepreneur and he's interested in technology, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin. He's interested in 
automation AI. And I'm like, why? That's very unusual for a New York politician. Um, so I want to talk to him about it and ask him, like, how did he end up where he is? And so that'll be interesting. And um, all right, like sounds good. All right. Have a good week, everyone. See you next week. That's the show. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you want to keep up, remember to follow The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at MaxClock. Have a great week. Feel the power. Wait, pour that water again. Let's get that sound effect. Let me see what I can do. Oh, yeah. I like that.